You're listening to Coffee with Innovate Finance, a podcast series where we're speaking with experts from the industry on the changing face of financial services and the future of fintech and financial innovation. I am Rashi Pandey, Head of Membership and Growth, and I'm very pleased to welcome two guests today. So we have James, who is the Director of Business Development and Sales, as well as Mark Mayer, who's the Senior Director of Products at Crowds. So Crowds is a fintech company focused on helping small and medium-sized businesses improve their cash flow. At Crowds, they're rethinking invoices, cash flow, as well as trade finance by replacing outdated manual practices with the financial services industry invoice marketplace built specifically for small and mid-sized businesses. So thank you so much for joining us today, both James as well as Mark. Welcome. Thank you, Rashid. Great to be Hello. here. Perfect. So let's kick off with you, James. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about your role at Crowds and your background? Absolutely. Thank you for having us. And that was a great introduction. And excuse the sirens in the background. Um, living in New York City <laughs> is always a, it was always a, a noisy time. Uh, so yeah, my role at Crowds is I'm a director of business development, I'm servicing North America and a little bit of Asia Pack as well with Crowds soon expanding down there. My background is rooted in banking. I was working at National Australia Bank for roughly 12 years, predominantly across um, the front exchange desk and doing a bit of underwriting as well earlier in my career. Post-banking life, I threw myself into the world of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and just general tech and did some venture capital investing with a really great group out of Sydney. Um, all that activity took me to America where I met crowds and joined the company about 12 months ago. So it's been a wild ride and I've enjoyed every minute of it. That's amazing. We all live in big cities and we all have sirens. So please don't be. Yeah. <laughs> and Thank how you. about you, Mark? So um, my background is also in financial services. I mean, initially I'm, a, I'm an engineer in telecommunication, but um, I moved into financial services, first with British Telecom, supporting um, financial institutions. And then in, in banking, uh, we bought a card. Uh, looking at mostly, I would say, uh, card payments, innovation, and, and new product developments, um, and also in ACI, with, uh, which is a, a Miami-based company that provides software solution for ACH-based payments as well as card. And, and I moved to Crowds about 18 months ago, um, managing managing the product. Uh, so basically, we have three, I would say, three product lines which are a white label solution of platform, a multi-tenant of a platform, and an API-based uh, uh, platform, basically. And um, I was based in London up to, I would say, two months ago, and I moved back to Switzerland, my, my home country. Well, Switzerland is a beautiful country, so uh, there, there's, there's no need for giving, you know, um, a reason for why you shouldn't be moving there. But that's amazing. Thank you so much both, uh, you know, for introducing yourselves. And I know I briefly touched on, you know, what Crowds does, but James, can you tell us a little more about, you know, Crowds and can you please just dive a little further into yeah. it? Yeah, for sure. So, so Crowds was really um, built with the, the SMB in mind, the small to medium business. And really we're looking to kind of level the playing field and empower them. And we feel like the best way to do that is to make access to finance um, really easy and, and quite affordable. 
So when we think about what Crowds does, and it's interesting, we're an earlier stage business, so we're actually rapidly evolving and innovating. But at the core of what we do, I explain us as a fintech that is involved in invoice financing, and we've built several solutions. Our core solution is the is what we call the marketplace for invoice and SaaS financing. And essentially, that allows SMEs to easily onboard within 24 to 48 hours. They can be up and running. And they can easily sell their invoices and recurring revenue contracts for immediate cash, uh, immediate working capital. On the other side of that, you have funders and funders at present to participate in this invoice financing market. They'll typically go through a fund and you know that fund may have fees. There may be certain barriers to entry, but through the crowds marketplace, they can directly onboard themselves and be on the other side of that financing. They can purchase those invoices and give that, give that cash flow to the SMB. That is the core marketplace solution. Mark mentioned just before that we've been expanding our, our kind of product suite and we now actually work with um, big global banks to enable them to service their customers better through our white label offering. So we have our core marketplace, we've white labeled that and financial institutions can really reap the rewards of our automation and our, I guess what I like to call our tech savviness and they can roll that out across their, across their company. Um, that's at the core of what we do. When you dig down in, into it, there is an API strategy that's really fascinating. We have a really interesting um, credit underwriting model called the SURF score, sustainability risk and financial score. Essentially that leverages um, data sets both internally from the client and externally in market to arrive at what we feel is um, the, the ability for a customer to pay back on time. We're predicting that they'll pay back their financing. So that SURF score is a very interesting product. And lastly, we are building a tokenized version of the marketplace where putting receivables on chain and reaping the benefits of um, instantaneous settlement and financial traceability. There's a lot that you guys are doing. There's a lot. Like you said, an early stage uh, business that that is a lot. And I mean, working with very closely with uh, a lot of small businesses, it's it's. I can see why this, what you're doing is so important. Um, so Mark, moving on to you, what was the original idea behind um, crowds? So I would say I'll come, go back to the, to the CEO, actually, um, um, Payson, who was working in Cisco and, and saw all of the problems uh, a disruptive uh, supply chain can, can infect um, the, small, the small and medium enterprise. So initially, the idea was, was really about uh, helping uh, those who actually can cannot necessarily get access to capital when necessary. And, and they, are, they are the backbone of our society. So, you know, if you, if you are like a big, a big organization, let's say Philips, for example, and, and, you, and you require working capital, you can get it easily at, at a, I would say, a, a proper discount rate. Whereas if you're an SME, it's, it's quite tough. You need to know your banker and then, you know, you either you get a loan uh, or you can go to, to an invoice financing solution. But this country is not great. And, and basically, if I remember back in the time, he said like um, in, in five years, like 50% of SMEs are going bust. So because of, of, of issues of, on, on, on working capital, um, I cannot confirm the number though, but so that's, that's what I remember basically. So there was the initial idea to, to, create, to create this marketplace. Um, the evolution, um, well, initially we wanted to have, a, I would say, a multi-tenant platform like an Amazon piece where you have multi-founders, multi-sellers multi on the platform and having a bidding process. But 
uh, more and more we're getting uh, companies, uh, large organizations, financial institutions, as well as um, other institutions or other companies like Meta are willing to actually white label a platform, uh, going to market themselves and provide capital. So, so we have set several models in place that, that, has, that, that has evolved over time uh, in regards of our, of our platform. And, and, and finally, I'm sure we're going to touch this, but just uh, I'll give you a bit of a preview. But um, when we discuss with, with large financial institutions, capital providers, and so on and so forth, the, the supply chain finance is very, very old, very uh, clunky, very slow. Um, and basically, unlike I would say the B2C, where, we, where we've seen a lot of innovation over the last 10, 15 years, this one requires a bit more uh, focus on innovation. And, and I think you can look at all the payments providers at the moment, and they're all looking at the, um, the B2B world. Uh, I think the main reason is, is the fact that it's not as, you know, as innovative as, as the the other side, and I think there's still, a, a, I would say, um, quite a lot of money to make that. So, so that's why that's why we we are moving onto the blockchain to, to create efficiency. That's pretty cool to know. And since you you know mentioned blockchain, what trends and disruptions do you currently see in the blockchain space now and in the future? I can take that one, Mark. Um, so I think it's been a really interesting evolution in blockchain and. And I'll kind of talk around blockchain and cryptocurrency very briefly because they're two separate things, but people often mix them together. But, you know, with blockchain, um, I mean, really it started all in 2008 with the release of the Bitcoin white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto, which is a pseudonym. Yeah. And I guess people started exploring what they could do with this kind of distributed ledger, what they could do with Bitcoin, which is the, the decentralized currency operating on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. And then we kind of, you know, everyone fumbled around with it. They're like, what are we doing here? There's no regulation. How do we incorporate this into our enterprise? If you fast forward through to 2017, 18, 19, there's been a lot of disruption in, 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 in the financial space. And I'll let me use one example that's really clear. Um, international payments or cross-border payments. At present, all cross-border payments are running on the SWIFT network and have been since the 60s and 70s, I believe now. When a, a user, like a business or a consumer, sends international wire from one bank to another, that actual money flow goes through sometimes several banks. Lots of fees are taken out. There's no real-time traceability. And really, it's a very clunky process, if we're being quite frank. The introduction of blockchain really eradicated that. It removed all the middlemen from that flow and actually enabled peer-to-peer -peer instantaneous cross-border settlement that the user, either user could see in real time where that money was happening and as it's being validated um, by nodes on the network, depending on whether it's a proof of stake or proof of work consensus mechanism will determine whether it's, you know, mining or, or staking. Um, but that was interesting because immediately all that fees, all the fees that were taken out of the middle were completely wiped out. It's now peer-to-peer, -peer, far more efficient and far more um, traceable. Now, that's one example. There have been a lot of other examples. Another one is around, you know, take a bid and offer on a stock market, okay? Typically, there's a market maker in the middle, like if it's the NASDAQ. And then there's been a company, Uniswap, uh, invented what's known as an automated market maker, an AMM. It's a, it's a decentralized exchange, um, often referred to as a DEX, that simply eradicated market makers. It uses algorithms and uses this concept of pulling together currencies 
to provide liquidity for people trading certain cryptocurrencies. That's another highly, it, that's a very technical example, but it's a very innovative thing that happened in the last couple of years. And they've, they've done billions in volume in a couple of years. And once again, they've completely disrupted an industry that's very well entrenched um, in all parts of the world. Go on, Mark. No, if I may add also regarding disruption, and, and if I reflect also uh, back in the time, um, I remember, I don't remember exactly the, the, the time, maybe it was 2013 or 14, but the Bank of England issued a, a white paper about Bitcoin uh, in particular and, and the risk uh, for uh, central banks or the economy in general of, of, um, of an, alternative, an alternative currency. And at the time, they were not really um, concerned about it. But what, what I see how things have changed is the fact that um, not Bitcoin is completely uh, you know, replacing fiat currency, but uh, central banks are now thinking about leveraging the technology. So I think it's quite clear now the European Central Bank uh, really wants to really wants to do something uh, around uh, issuing the, the euro coin. So, so for me, it, it's quite disruptive. It's now like institutional um, organizations really looking at the technology and, and stop printing you know, physical money and, and issuing like digital money like, like this makes, makes, makes totally sense to me. Uh, another point that shows um, you know, maybe things that are changing is back in the time also in banking we had so many projects around blockchain and in cryptocurrency and to be to be fair we got burned uh, many many of these projects were basically smoke and mirrors um just win uh, and now um it's been, it was a time up to now that you know financial institutions stayed away from blockchain project but they completely back into it and I think it's a proof that now the use cases are, are real and, and they, they're ready to, to put money again on, on this type of projects. I like how you said the use cases are getting real now. Um, so, you know, of course, you guys, you know, mentioned your white label platform. I know supply chain finance as a service is your white label platform, if I believe uh, that to be correct. So can you tell us how that really works? Uh, so yeah, with our white label product, I think a really good use case is Meta, and we can talk around why a company like Meta would want to engage in, in that kind of product. Essentially, lots of enterprise groups like Meta and others have done so well establishing massive audiences. They've got like this huge network, and as they've collected more power and more attention, they realize that these customers of theirs want access to different services that they're probably getting elsewhere, like at a bank. And to be fair, banks haven't been the most innovative in the last decade. They've definitely done well, at, um, aside from the GFC, they've done well at brand reputation and kind of giving customers lots of product, but not so well innovation. So they've worked with these groups. Um, the, the, these, these groups rather go, well, maybe we should run an embedded finance program within our company. We've got the users, but we don't really have the ability to go build out a financial product from scratch. That would be very, very time consuming. So they look to work with a group like Crowds that essentially where they can leverage our technology and brand with their brand, our technology and open that up to their customers. And each group would do it differently. Some just want it what we call straight out of the box. They don't want any customization whatsoever. They're quite happy to give that platform just with their logos and branding and color scheme. 
to their customers. Others want to get more involved in the, in the program and maybe put a bit of a, a twist on it. So Meta did this. They actually made a diversity run program where they looked to finance businesses that were diversity led rather on a bunch of criteria that they'd set out, which was really cool. So they had a kind of campaign around that. We've been running with them, uh, I think for over a year now, and we've funded roughly 60 million of uh, diversity wow. of, yeah, of businesses that are diversity run, women led, et cetera. And it's, it's really cool to be part of those programs. So as we're using that as a case study, we're now speaking to many different organizations of the same size that want to run embedded finance programs. And these discussions are keeping Mark and his team extremely busy because a lot of the strategy is around APIs and building on top of APIs. So it's uh, another a crucial step in the crowd's journey. That's amazing, actually. And I was going to ask this later on, but I'm going to ask this now. Are there any other success stories and partnerships that you can uh, you know, share with us, of course, which are uh, already in the public domain? Because this one's super cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I can, we can speak about what we're going to launch um, in the near future and about a week and a half in Australia. So we're launching in Australia with, with one of our partners uh, called Ichi, which is a Tell me, James, if I'm wrong, but a, a fund manager for uh, real estate. So that's going to be the, the next the next part of our journey. And, and the, interestingly, Australia is um, is really one of the countries that uh, we see a, a lot of demand, maybe because of uh, the geographical positions and, and the trade they, they have with several countries around them. But we, we do have several programs lined up in Australia. Um, we have some projects we, we cannot speak about right now, but we are uh, in conversation for launching blockchain, uh, blockchain-based platform uh, with, a, with a clear roadmap, starting with uh, creating a non-fungible token for our, um, for our receivables uh, and being exchanged on a platform, uh, going towards uh, using um, stable coins as well, um, and potentially also creating um, an open market whereby you can exchange these receivables um, uh, on, on different marketplace or even peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, we have also like uh, other smaller um, uh, white label, and we also have a program with City uh, where we expect to launch this year as well. I was going to say, you, you, it's not only your product roadmap that is full, I believe for the next 12 to 18 months, but your international expansion plan is as well. That's, that's really cool to know. You guys are not only in North America and Europe, but very much in APAC. Uh, region as well. Um, so moving on, I know you also recently launched the Avalon Marketplace. So can you tell us a little bit more and, you know, shed some light on it? And what problems are you really trying to solve with the Avalon Marketplace? This is by far, at least for Mark and I, um, the most exciting project that we're working on internally. And it comes at an interesting time because NFTs, non-fungible tokens, have a very bad public relations problem right now, which I'll talk a little bit about. There's a lot of misconceptions around what, what's happening in that space. Um, but firstly, what are we doing with them? So we are essentially, we're taking receivables and we're turning them into NFTs and placing them on chain. Now, people immediately go, well, why would you want to do that? Um, I thought NFTs were only for pictures or, or, or like monkeys, like digital mon monkeys, like board apes, et cetera. What's going on? There's a few reasons why we're doing it. So if we go back to uh, the kind of core of the financial architecture and what banks are built on, especially when you delve into supply chain finance, 
everything is is very it's everything's trapped in information silos between certain parties, sellers, buyers, funders. So there's no visibility over the supply chain. There's no visibility as to what's happening. That's the first issue. That architecture, then when you apply a payments layer, a transacting layer, once again, you're talking about the SWIFT network if you're going cross-border, which a lot of these customers operate cross-border, particularly if they're exporting. So you look at those two things and you go, on an existing infrastructure, there's issues there because nobody can see what's happening. Everything's really slow. There's lots of paperwork flying around. This isn't the best experience when you look at the buyer, the seller, and the funder. By putting something into a standardized format, which is an NFT, and putting it on chain, two things are happening. One, we're standardizing all the data into a set format. Super important when you delve into the world of syndication and securitization of these asset classes. That's probably another podcast we can talk on because it gets rather technical. But Fair just enough. think, yeah, but think of data standardization is really critical. And then once it's on chain, you've got visibility. Technically, depending how much data we wish to expose to chain, you can kind of see a really clear picture as to what's happening. And then lastly, the transacting layer. Mark mentioned the use of stablecoin. And really what that is, is instantaneous settlement between a, a funder, a buyer, and a seller. Um, that's completely transparent with no middlemen. It's just instantaneous, which is incredible. So when you wrap all this together, why are we doing it? We're doing it to kind of eradicate information silos, eradicate inefficiencies, and ultimately provide a really great user experience across the chain. Delving deeper, we want to minimize fraud. Fraud's a big issue in finance generally across the globe. And we just want to open up supply chains and provide more liquidity to what people are doing. So at a very high level, that's what we're doing. Um, we can't talk too much about the project, but that we're working with potentially a very big payments company, one of the biggest wow. in the world around okay. doing this. Um, it's 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 in early stage discussions, but you know, irrespective, crowds is building this tokenized version of the marketplace. And you know, it'll get to a point where the the SME or the or the small uh, medium business as they're financing won't even realize what they're doing is technically on chain um, because the user experience will be so clean. They'll just sit back and go, wow, this is a really fast process and the funder will say the same thing and then when you delve deeper into the data it's just very exciting um so i encourage people when they hear the word nft not to think just about digital images and around environmental destruction um but rather think around the actual uses of standardizing data but then also around the environmental piece i'll add we are building on top of a layer two um network called polygon a layer ethereum layer two incredibly esg friendly um, as well, and Ethereum just converted to proof of stake. They changed their consensus algorithm, and it's had such an impact. Stats suggest that it's reduced electricity consumption worldwide by negative by by 0.2% or 0.25%. So, uh, these environmental discussions—they've gone fully green, ESG friendly. This is a, a big step for the industry moving forward. So. I've said a lot there. I apologize. Very passionate. No, about that that's that that is a great. And actually, I was going to ask about you know ESG as well. And so so that's a great segue. Um, you know specifically how Crowds is laying uh, like how are you guys laying the foundation for suppliers and merchants to support environmental and ethical supply chains? So so to be to be fair we're, st we're still in early stage and defining the value proposition but um what i would say is first of all we, we would like to provide visibility to start with so basically 
if you have a receivable, you can have a view about the, uh, the impact it has on carbon footprint, for example. Um, so you can decide whether you want to invest in it or, or not. But also we're thinking about a mechanism uh, about how we can offset some of the, um, some of the impacts um, this, type of in, this type of receivables have. Um, so that's, that's one thing we, we're looking at. We have a, a team uh, based in London looking at what's, what are the different value propositions we can, we can have. And, and we're also uh, trying to include um, James Machen of SoftSchool. So that would, that would also include the envir environmental impact uh, the receivable have, has, basically. Um, and and as, as, as James mentioned, we, 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 are an Ethereum, we are an Ethereum house. We, we've been playing with Ethereum for, for a long time. So we, we appreciate what the main chain offer, offers to, to us. Um, but the gases and the environmental impact of Ethereum was not an option for us. And, and hopefully, you know, we, we found Polygon as a, as, a good, uh, as a good solution moving forward uh, for us. No, that is that is a great summary. And, you know, we are coming towards the end uh, of, you know, the podcast. Uh, but before I let you guys go, I, ha I have two very quick questions. And one of them is actually, since you spoke so much about, you know, blockchain and NFTs and how much there's some negativity surrounding around and some misconceptions. So if both of you, um, you know, had to bust some myths around it and if there were some you know positive and actual factual messages that you wanted to tell our listeners what would that be yeah I'll, I'll start with one i think a really common misconception is that nfts are purely for trading digital art yeah um, but that is that is really not truthful at all that's been a really popular use case for a lot of cryptocurrency enthusiasts of late for sure but really i i encourage people to think about NFTs and how they can be used to standardize data. Technically, they can be used to tokenize any real-world asset. It could be a receivable. It could be a certificate of title for a property. It could be anything like that. And once you put that on chain, there is just this 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 place that exists that you can look at and go, "Hey, this is the this is the database that is actually the source of truth here, and it it, it cannot be tampered with. It's very secure." And you're not relying on a third party like the titles of us to kind of give you access to that information, but rather this information exists on the powerful and incredible Ethereum network and distributed database that can be queried anytime um, by anyone. What I would say on my side is uh, the, the blockchain environment is, a, is an area for, for money laundering. Uh, at least for us, it's not the case, I would say. Um, because you know it all depends what checks you, you, you put in place, and and um, to be to be fair, I would say we, we're not. I would say we'll never be like hundred percent completely decentralized. We we need a level of control, uh, and we still do uh, what we call KYC or KYB. So know your business and know your customer. Yeah. And doing all these sanction checks. So basically, as an example, uh, we would not like to sell uh, Russian invoice at the moment to uh, an American investors. Um, so that's not going to happen. So we, we still do this check. We, we whitelist the address, the addresses. So to make sure that this is not, this is not happening. So there's still a level of control and we're still trying to avoid, um, any, any fraudulent or, or, or illegal actions happening on the, on the blockchain. Obviously we don't, as mentioned, we don't want drug dealers paying our invoices uh, in the, in the future. Yeah. 
Of course. Well, thank you so much both. And and before we wrap up, one one last question. What's next for you guys? I mean, you you have shared a lot in terms of your product roadmap as well as international, you know, expansions and you you did hint that you are, you guys are working with like one of the largest payment companies in the world which you can't disclose. But any other exciting news we should look forward to? I think, you know, Mark and I in particular, we're very focused. We're very execution-driven people. We really want to see the crowd marketplace in Australia take shape at the end of this month with our partners, this real estate investment fund. Shout out to EG. They're an amazing group and we're, we're very lucky to be working with them. And I think really start bringing um, our white paper to life. We're doing a lot of development work. We have some incredible developers in London, um, Kingsley Hendricks and Abdul, our two guys out there. And, you know, we really want to bring that to life and execute on that. So we're partway through that. And I think moving forward, we should be able to show some market results very soon. We can't wait. So that's uh, at least top of my mind at the moment. That is exciting. Mark, anything else? Then, no, I would say, no, I would say 100% to, to James. Um, the, yeah, we will. We are in acceleration process right now. Um, we we're gonna see um, things going live um, within the next three months. And, and also, we 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 setting up as I'm based in Switzerland, setting up a crowd Switzerland entity uh, where I would say where this part of the business will will operate um, because the 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 regulatory environment is is clear about what we can or can do. So that's that's probably the best the best environment to be in that's amazing that's amazing well thank you so much both it was lovely speaking with you today likewise thank, thank you very much thank, thank you. you and there's you know i'll just say more power to you and the team at crowds as you you know internationally expand have more product offerings for your smes that that's wonderful stuff and thank you once again for tuning into coffee with innovate finance to all our listeners do look out for upcoming episodes and follow us on twitter and linkedin for more on our events and programs and as always until next time take very good care of yourselves <laughs>